Have you ever loved someone so much that you followed them around and talked endlessly about them to all your friends and family? That's how much we love rhododendron, a quirky and amazing genus of flowering plants with a deep human history and an incredible ecological legacy. Follow along on our adventures as we learn about the remarkable things that folks all around the world have done for the love of rhododendron. Episode 3, A Postcard is a Small Thing. In this episode, we meet Dr. Anna Asatrion, a senior researcher at the National Academy of Sciences in Armenia, focused on the documentation and conservation of Armenia's rich native flora, including rhododendron caucasicum. We learn how Dr. Asatrion became involved in the ecotourism industry and fell in love with rhododendron as she conducted her primary work documenting the important plant areas of Armenia. Her efforts to fill the data gap on rhododendron have inspired residents of Armenia's small and cozy mountain villages to see their native species with different eyes. And we discover that something as unassuming as sharing an illustrated postcard has the power to stimulate daily acts of conservation, reminding us that we are all one organism, one ecosystem. Following the wise words of Mother Teresa, be faithful in small things, because it is in them that your strength lies. Welcome to For the Love of Rhododendron. I'm Juliana. I'm going to be one of your hosts today, and I'm super excited to be here with my fellow host, Christina Woodward. Hi, Christina. Hi, Juliana. It's great to join you today. And Christina and I are thrilled. We are absolutely over the moon to talk to our guest today, Dr. Anna Asatrian, who is a researcher at the Taktiyan Institute of Botany, National Academy of Sciences in Armenia. Hi, Anna. Hi, Juliana. Hello, Christina. I'm so happy for the invitation uh, and uh, will be uh, happy to share uh, with you and with the audience. Wonderful. So Christina and I had the immense pleasure of meeting Anna at the American Rhododendron Society convention this last spring, where she presented a poster on her research in rhododendron. And we're excited to talk to you about your work and your research. And I know that you don't work only in rhododendron. You have a much broader research program. Can you tell us a little bit about the main focus of your work there? Uh, yes, uh, actually, I work as a senior researcher at the Institute of Botany you mentioned and uh, in the Department of Geobotany. And my main uh, focus is uh, investigation of Armenia uh, with particular focus on conservation issues. Uh, I have uh, studied uh, uh, plant communities, the diversity of plant communities of Armenia, some endemic threatened species. Uh, one of uh, the most ambitious projects I have implemented uh, during last 20 years was the important plant heirs of Armenia project. Uh, and actually I am um, co uh, national coordinator for the IPAs project in Armenia. Um, Another research was about um, endemic, uh, some threatened uh, wild pear species. 
uh, Armenia is very rich in wild fruit uh, trees and shrubs and particular pear species and this is one of the centers for pear diversity so uh, I study them and I'm involved in a project on their conservation and reintroduction currently uh, uh, and there have been many other smaller and more ambitious projects I've been involved in um, and also among them is my studies on the only rhododendron species in Armenia, the Caucasian rhododendron. Must your experience um, in the plant communities that uh, gave you the idea to work in rhododendron caucasicum? Uh, yes, actually, yes. All uh, these my uh, spheres of interest. Uh, uh, the rhododendron goes through them. Uh, uh, the, my first time I worked on the rhododendron was a long ago, maybe 27 years ago, when I was a postgraduate student. I did my first a small research, an essay, on uh, two relic species of Armenian flora, a yew, Taxus baccata, and rhododendron caucasicum. And I remember I did a lot of work on the literature studying this species and the genus itself. Uh, both scientific and scientific popular information was collected and put in the essay. And I didn't have uh, the photos of the species because I never been in the field and I never seen it in the wild. And so I did uh, watercolor paintings myself. I found a picture in encyclopedia and I just painted and put, added to my printed version of essay. And, and after that, uh, for maybe 15 years later, when I was working on my IPA's project, and I was uh, visiting the uh, sites where a threatened and rare plant communities are found in Armenia, uh, I went and I saw the rhododendrons in the wild and in bloom. My first time I saw them, it was the end of May or beginning of June, I don't remember, when the rhododendron was in full bloom. And that was, I, I felt in love with this plant because it's one of the most beautiful representatives of our flora. And um, our in the list of threatened plant communities of Armenia, we included the rhododendron hits also. This species is in the Red Data Book of Armenia as an endangered species. And uh, except that uh, the rhododendron communities are considered since then as a threatened plant community, plant, uh, habitat type. So we have to study it more and to protect it and to care about it. That was another. Another, uh, the next time I met Rhododen or Rhododen, we met each other, was uh, a, my, uh, a project on botanical illustration. We did, maybe I'll tell you later a bit more in details, but one of the first five uh, botanical objects selected for this project was a rhododendron again. And <laughs> later, we, uh, I had a wonderful opportunity to uh, do the first focused study uh, 
of the species in Armenia due to support from scientific committee of the American Rhododendron Society. Yeah. Wonderful. What a beautiful story of your relationship with rhododendron and how it's sort of, as you said, it, it sort of overlaps. It's, it's a through line in all of the things that you're interested in. So that's really cool. And we definitely, one of my goals is to hear all about your study that you did with your funding from the American Rhododendron Society. Can you tell us a little bit about exactly what your objectives were for the project and what did you find? Uh, yeah, I received the grant in uh, 2019 and uh, for the project Rhododendron Caucasicum survey in Armenia for conservation of the species and its habitats. And as I mentioned, it became the first focus study of the species in Armenia. And um, before um, the uh, herbarium, I studied the herbarium collection now in situ samples, and most of the collections of the species uh, dated from 1920s to 1950s, with no any, of course, GPS coordinates available. And uh, it, it, uh, there uh, was a strong need for uh, more information, more detailed information on the distribution of the species, on the, its uh, condition and main threats to the species. So um, our main objectives of the project were uh, to visit all the known locations for the species in Armenia uh, in order to check its uh, presence or absence in those sites and to collect data on its distribution, its ecology, uh, area condition and possible threats. And the next aim was uh, to prepare a rhododendron distribution map for Armenia. Uh, also, Another goal was uh, to prepare materials for publication and to share the project results with conservationist colleagues uh, to promote conservation of the species and its habitats. Uh, actually, so the main aim, the project's aim was to fill the data gap on the species in Armenia and to promote conservation and further monitoring of the species and its habitats. Um, yeah, that was. That sounds like a critically important goal, and we can't conserve things that we don't know about. So, step one, know about them. Yeah, <laughs> that's very yes. cool. Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. So, what did you guys find? What What did you see yeah. when you went out there? Uh, I have to mention that it uh, it the populations of rhododendron are found in hardly accessible places in remote areas. It prefers a very steep slopes, uh, screes, stone rounds. It is found on the altitude of 2,300 to 3,000 meters above sea level. And uh, to there are no uh, actually proper roads, uh, good roads towards most of the sites. So it's difficult to reach physically. Uh, 
So we tried as much as possible in the framework of the time we had and the possibilities. And uh, we uh, visited some of the populations. Uh, uh, we found a new population actually, uh, the largest uh, population for the whole mountain bridge, the Pambak mountain bridge. Also, uh, we managed to reach the site from which uh, the species was collected for the first time in Armenia, mm -hmm. 99 years ago before we were there. And that was so exciting to follow uh, the route uh, of our um, you know, um, famous researchers of the beginning of the last century. And we found it and uh, we saw some other rhododendron spots on a distance on other tops of the ridge, which was difficult to visit uh, during that project, but I hope I will go there in the near future. That was an interesting experience. It's, it's one of the things in science that I think has, people often think it's done. They say, oh, 99 years ago, somebody surveyed that, but now's the time to do it again. Now's the time to look again. And, and I can feel the joy that you must have felt in seeing it and just rediscovering it. And that continuity over time of research, that's what really that's where we really have that power to to change things is that continuity over time so i can see why that was really fun and exciting the next question you talked a little bit about the discovery of caucasicum about a century ago and you talked about its habitat types are there like different varieties of Caucasicum? Do you find differences across these different populations or are they really all growing in sort of similar habitats with similar traits? Uh, you know, uh, they, um, we have only one species and there is no any reference to any varieties found in Armenia. No one has studied or uh, I don't know why, uh, there is a lack of information, but uh, there is a reference to some pinkish forms uh, with pinkish flowers found among uh, those white or pale white for, uh, flowered forms. Uh, so uh, during our visits, we uh, found some pinkish uh, flowered forms with uh, somewhere with greenish spots on petals, some with reddish spots. But this is uh, one of the uh, questions I want to find answers to uh, in the near future, because I really want to go to, to, to choose some sample populations to go and to study the variability, because not only in flowers, but I, I noticed some differences in the size of the plant, in the leaf color, in the size of the fruits, etc. So there is a definitely need for more detailed studies of uh, the uh, morphological variations within the populations and the differences between populations. That would be interesting to know. 
that's exciting when you think about conservation because people often say that variation is a buffer. So if you've got some variation there, it's 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 hopeful that somebody in that population is going to be able to manage um, changing conditions. So that's very exciting. Yeah. We were curious, Christina and I, why you um, chose post-flowering post for your research expedition. Was that a matter of logistics? I know in a lot of places in spring um, that aren't paved, the roads can be pretty much impassable in early spring. And you mentioned that it was very hard to access. Was that an aspect of how you designed your study? Uh, yes, yeah, so far as, uh, as far as our main aim was to study the distribution of the species, uh, the population size and uh, the, to find the, its locations. Uh, we, uh, and we needed to have more or less easy access to the sites. Uh, we could do it only in September, October when the grass, uh, the meadow grass is dry and local uh, off-road trucks were able to access those sites. Uh, the, uh, the season also helped us to see uh, rhododendron spots because it's evergreen, it's dark green, and it's, it's, it's green is different from others, other greens. It helped us to notice the spots on a quite big distance. Uh, and that was, the season helped us to found that new population I mentioned before. We just saw it from the main road. We looked at the top of one of uh, the mountain ridges on the rocky uh, top, and we saw some dark green spots in September. And we recognized it's rhododendron. A couple of weeks later, we returned there already prepared for the whole day, and we found that the largest population for Pambak uh, mountain ridge, which uh, was never mentioned in any literature and no any herbarium uh, material was available. So uh, the finding was published in a scientific paper. Yeah. That's exciting to find a new population. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you, your, your main work really looks at important plant areas and the threats, and your work in rhododendron caucasicum is part of that. What are the main threats to caucasicum, and is there a climate change effect here? Um, uh, thanks to the habitats of rhododendron, which are far from human activity. Yeah, most of them are difficult to access. It's, uh, we may say it's uh, more or less protected. Uh, only in some parts of a distribution area where, where rhododendron uh, uh, is found in uh, uh, meadows or in lower areas, uh, it may be affected by grazing or in some spots overgrazing, but, but I think most of its populations are protected due to the location. Uh, the main threat uh, can be considered, uh, uh, climate change may be considered as, uh, as a main threat. 
in some years, uh, when we have um, unusual hot and dry weather in June, sometimes we have it in many countries, uh, one can notice uh, some of the shrubs uh, get dry, leaves become dry. I remember maybe 12 years ago, uh, I noticed in one of the locations uh, some uh, shrubs uh, just get dry. Uh, later, when I returned there, uh, I didn't find any dead shrub. That was interesting. I think maybe they have some mechanism of adaptation of recovery, maybe next more uh, cooler snowy winters or more humid uh, springs help them to recover after dry year. Who knows? Uh, this is another interesting uh, question uh, which I would like to study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, call me when you do that study. I would love to learn more about the physiology of these plants. Yeah. You know, it, everybody wants rhododendrons to be water loving, but in a way they want just enough water. So I, I do have hope for them that there's some drought tolerance there. And I feel like this is a species that we should be looking at for that and asking that question. How are they making it through these summers? Because hot summer, hot dry summer should be the death of a rhododendron. So that's very exciting. Do they re-sprout? Uh, sorry? Do they re-sprout? Like if all the leaves died back, would you see like yeah. a new branch? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, sh there should be something like that. I haven't started it, uh, focused on that uh, observation, but I think probably yes. Uh, you know, uh, actually Armenia, uh, the climate in Armenia is dry, mostly dry. And this is uh, the southeastern uh, edge of the distribution area of the species. and. Um, I couldn't say the conditions are perfect for rhododendron. That's why it is found higher up in a gorgeous of northern, northeastern exposition, most mostly. Uh, and um, during the uh, field work um, in the framework of the project, when we found this new population, we found that most uh, the largest part of the rhododendron population is found on stone runs. And locals told us that uh, one can find uh, some uh, snow, uh, pieces of snow, even in June, uh, one can find there among stones. And I think uh, rhododendrons find their uh, <laughs> comfortable conditions. Uh, it, it likes snow, low temperatures and humidity. Mm. Yeah. I am so interested to think about the science of the rhododendrons that you studied, but Christina has some more cultural uh, questions and interest. And, and I think we, we need to learn a little bit more about Armenia. I'm pretty sure that our audience, rhododendron enthusiasts, are not very familiar with Armenia. Um, the culture, the environment, we learned just a little about, but Christina's gonna, um, dive into that topic well it's interesting that you know we we um are wanting to have that uh very subject um in in our conversation because 
you know, reading through histories of the early plant hunters, plant explorers, uh, and they're all fascinating and very involved. Um, what I found was of great interest was how communities were able to support these plant enthusiasts, these plant hunters. And I'm sure that you encountered communities in your travels in search of Caucasicum. Um, what, what were some of the communities and how did they support you in your endeavors? Um, the um, uh, rhododendron habitats are located near to small and cozy villages. And uh, wherever we travel for work or uh, just uh, to enjoy nature, we try to, if we are, we are planning to go high, into the mountains, we try to hire local drivers and we try to interact with local communities so they get involved in what we do. Uh, this is important for us scientists uh, because we learn a lot from locals and uh, for them it's uh, interesting to learn from us about the plants that grow next uh, to their houses right uh, in the mountains so um i can just tell you um, a story when i uh, decided to visit rhododendron habitat for the first time and i hired a local driver he took us up and he was fascinated by the beauty of the blooming rhododendrons the way as he saw it for the first time in his life he said, oh, what beauty. Could you please take my photo next to these flowers? I will show to my family, to my children. I took the photo and I printed photo and it is still on the bookshelf in his house. He said, I live here and I just uh, go to mountains quite often, but I had never seen this plant in bloom. So that was just a lucky case. Later, maybe a few years later, uh, so we collaborate with him uh, every time we go there. Uh, I saw as he is standing next to rhododendrons and he just saw another car driving through, a car of villagers, and he stopped them and said the, uh, very proudly, this is our rare species rhododendron, please do not collect it. It's our beauty and we are very proud to have it. So it's, I feel so happy when I see that. Oh, it works, lovely. it works when they see our excitement, locals, mm -hmm. and, and they, I often hear, you know, we, uh, thanks to you, we saw our flowers from another point of view with different eyes. Uh, it seems, uh, you know, it seems just field of flowers. But when you tell stories, when they see how careful, <laughs> how uh, you know, fascinated we are about some particular plant species, they just get involved, mm -hmm. and we continue keep contact and collaborate with locals. Uh, it, it's very interesting. That is fascinating. What a what a wonderful story. But what I see you engaging in is actually bringing the community on side to pay attention to conservation and to other means to, you know, protect those plants and also to give some publicity yeah. um, to the scientific uh -huh. community or, you know, botanical interest. 
Yeah, so, um, yeah Krishna, if you let me uh, to bring just another example how we uh, work with communities. Yes, please. Again, again, uh, doing the work on the project. I took with me a certain amount of botanical postcards with rhododendron, and I had photos of the plant printed. And I was just walking around in the villages nearby the sites of interest, showing to people and asking if they have ever seen this plant in the mountains, if they, they know it. And I was distributing the postcards just to let them know there is such a beautiful plant in, in the mountains uh, next to the village. Uh, and I just like it when different uh, outputs of my professional activity, they are linked together and they start work together, uh, provide uh, giving more powerful effect result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so you actually have multi purpose in these plant exploration uh, and research. Yeah. I think that's quite fascinating and what, what good work you're doing as a result. Thank you. So, um, I understand you've also done work uh, in ecotourism as a guide. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that correct? Yes, yes. So where did that take place? How, <laughs> how did you know, it began long ago. Uh, actually, uh, we often, we uh, botanists, often uh, welcome uh, colleagues from other countries and we have to organize, to manage things, to organize the logistics. And that it is always done uh, in as a collaboration, not as a work or business. But uh, since maybe, I, as far as I remember, in 2008, I did my first um, a trip, a tour, as a botany guide, as I was hired by a tourism company, which organized a trip for International Dendrology Society, and I, they needed a professional guide. And I did that trip. Um, we traveled all over Armenia. We saw the remarkable trees and groves, etc. And thanks to that trip, the, my book, Remarkable Trees of Armenia, was published a few years later because uh, one of the uh, members of the group uh, helped me to find some sponsorship for the research, for the data collection. And later, the IDS uh, scientific committee supported the publication of the book. So one activity helps to another activity. Science helps to tourism, tourism helps to science. All are connected. That is so true. That is so true. Yeah. Are we, uh, is this book still available? Remarkable. Yes, uh, yes, I share it with, uh, yeah, when we have guests or people who are interested, I give it as a souvenir, because it's not uh, very scientific, it's a kind of uh, guidebook, it can be considered as a guidebook for mm -hmm. tourists as well, and um, actually it includes uh, 24 trees and groves, uh, which are found on the territory of Armenia, trees, uh, we, uh, the objects, uh, natural uh, history objects, which are interesting for being, for example, very old, uh, uh, 
for having holding a uh, interesting history linked with some traditions remarkable for something and all these stories were collected uh, i also included there uh, some monastery trees because uh, only a few of the old monastery trees uh, uh, reach uh, are available today um, it's a traditional they uh, um, they were planted once the monastery is built mm -hmm. walnuts and uh, we have some other interesting trees. So um, uh, it, it was, uh, and I'm very happy that this book uh, was published because it, it attracts attention uh, of the tree as a, not only as an important um, uh, you know, object of our natural world, because forests in Armenia are very limited in their distribution. Now, up to 10% of the territory of Armenia is forested, and we it's another threatened ecosystem. But also as a sim symbolical, philosophical object, mm -hmm. a tree is, um, needs much more respect and protection. So, yes, uh, you are so right. And there are so many ancient trees which we try to protect and sometimes we succeed. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in this day and age, uh, it's not possible to do that. So uh, it's very interesting you mentioned 10% of Armenia is treed. My goodness. Uh, yeah, about, yes. Uh, but you know, climate change and other factors, uh, actually forests are very important, not only forests, all ecosystems, all mm -hmm. habitats are important, mm -hmm. but uh, the forests are among the most threatened ones, you know, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I was going to ask the, the trees that you depict in the book, um, are they photographed or are they mm -hmm. uh, illustrated? How how do yes. we see them? Every tree and grove has is uh, every uh, part is illustrated, and uh, there is an information. All the available information mm -hmm. I could collect. Again, visiting local villagers, asking them, uh, working with literature, and etc. So I I put there all I could collect, and. Mm -hmm. Made uh, there is a map showing their locations, mm -hmm. and I use it use it in my uh, botany uh, work as a botany guide. So mm -hmm. the project outputs they serve as a additional source of information or as a souvenir for my tourists. Uh, both postcards and this book are distributed. Yeah. Can we look forward to a book in the future, uh, an illustrated book with complete information on Rhododendron caucasicum? Oh, <laughs> if I can collect that much information, that will make a book, maybe <laughs> from one species. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> um, fun fact, when I was researching for this episode, one of the things I found was a social media post where one of the trees in your book suffered some damage. And it was a discussion on social media. Basically, they referred to your book and the tree in question that was in the book. I think remarkable trees are 
they're like a, a deep human need the remarkable trees of our lives it's something that we don't recognize that is so important to us the conversation that i saw on social media it was it was reverence it was concern it was you know honoring that this is something that is important to us and that they're they are generational it feels like our connection you know to our history to our ancestors um yeah. You know, I, I heard this beautiful idea that if you go into a grove of trees, you're standing with the breath of the ancestors around you. And that's kind of like every remarkable tree, you know, has that, yes, the breath absolutely. of our ancestors. So. Absolutely, I agree. And the symbol tree of life, which is typical to many cultures yes. around the world. And, you know, more and more uh, people um, in... Uh, uh, nowadays they need this communication with trees uh, there is a form of tourism where people go and hug trees and just stay like that uh, taking that energy from a tree yeah it's it's very popular nowadays yeah have you have you had a tourism event where people were their goal was to hug trees Yes, once That's <laughs> they were amazing. hugging or just sitting next to trees and listening to the silence and birds. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to try it today. I have some trees in my yard. I'm going to go sit with my trees and just listen to them. That's awesome. I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention the botanical illustrator. You had a botanical illustrator that worked with you. Yes, uh, my friend Nadezhda Navasardian, who uh, did uh, the first colorful botanical illustrations in Armenia. Before, only black and white illustrations were uh, published uh, in Flora of Armenia or other scientific works for scientific purposes. But as a botanical colorful pub, uh, illustration and as a postcard that was the first experience and uh, the first set five postcards uh, we produced that uh, were uh, sponsored by eric hosking charitable trust and the rest uh, 15 more postcards were sponsored by our um, colleagues, friends who visited Armenia as botany tourists. Actually, they got in, uh, interested in this project and uh, like inspired with the beauty of our flora. And so now we have 20 different plants illustrated, trees, shrubs, uh, herbaceous plants, both uh, widespread and rare endemic. Every species needs protection from my point of view. <laughs> well, certainly rhododendron falls into that category. Uh, that was among the first ones. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully you. Uh, yeah. Yes. Go ahead. I just wanted to mention that uh, with Nadezhda, with the artist, uh, how did we work? We uh, started with uh, expeditions, visiting the species in their natural habitat, 
and then continued our work uh, in uh, town, in city. So uh, she could see the plants uh, in the in their full beauty and to know that character. That was a collaboration, very interesting. Uh, probably, um, you know, postcard is a very small thing, but uh, when I uh, measure its influence, it's probably one of the most important conservation projects I have ever implemented because we published thousands of them and we distributed a lot and still there is still a lot to, uh, they brighten, events, meetings, uh, seminars, we always have them there. I bring them to conferences and I'm so happy we did that. Yeah, I, you know, I actually, you gave me some at the convention and you know what I did? I gave them to people at a rhododendron meeting who were new and it was so exciting for me to give them that postcard and they were the postcard, like you said, it's small format, but in a way it's the perfect place to tell a very focused message. And yeah. they just, the, the postcards, the drawings, they're human in their, how they view the plant. They're so beautiful. They're very, they feel, they feel like they are from another time that is a little bit slower and a little bit more observant. And so I can tell you there's, I don't even know the names of the people that I gave them to because they were brand new to me. I just said, would you like this? And they were just like, this is what, what is happening? It was like a little <laughs> moment of surprise and joy. So yeah, they're doing a lot of work. Those little postcards. Yeah, so pleased to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with you and uh, beauty and um, arts is very important in my work. Whatever I do, I try to uh, have a component of beauty and arts involved. It helps me to, to work, yeah. yeah. So Anna, um, we were very uh, excited to meet with you at the convention. Um, it was the uh, 75th anniversary convention of the American Rhododendron Society held in Portland and Vancouver in Oregon and Washington. And uh, so that was really a, a pleasure to meet you and to have the chance to talk with you. It was my first um, time that I had a chance to, uh, to meet you and to ask you some questions. So we're very pleased to have you back again so that we can continue that conversation. Um, so um, were you able to travel anywhere else in the United States while you were visiting uh, to attend this convention? What, what experiences did you have? Oh, thank, you. thank you, Christina. I must say that my travel to the United States was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I'm so happy I managed to be there at the convention and to meet you and Juliana and other participants. That was an unforgettable experience. And that was my first time ever in that part of the world. I have never been in North America, even in South America, <laughs> never been there. and. Um, 
I knew that I'm going to start with one of the most beautiful states. Uh, I've heard about that, that it's so beautiful, the gorgeous river, forest, and you know, I managed to see Mountain Hood on the day of arrival, despite the bad weather, but I, I saw it, <laughs> and that was beautiful. Um, I, um, uh, after um, those four days spent in, uh, on the convention, on a meeting, I traveled to Massachusetts, where I spent two more weeks and I saw a little bit of um, everything, I think, as much as possible, because I traveled uh, to cities, to countryside, uh, to some museums. And, you know, uh, I can uh, tell about my impressions for many hours. But in one word, <laughs> I would say just, wow, <laughs> my, my travel was so rich with diverse uh, uh, impression that I still need a lot of time to put all, all in my head or in my memory to the shelves because it was very interesting. I, I, my old dreams uh, came true and I managed to visit um, the rare collection of Blaschka glass uh, models of plants in Harvard's uh, Natural History Museum. I knew about that collection long ago and I was dreaming to see it. And that was absolutely fantastic. I couldn't believe those models are made of glass. They looked absolutely natural. I also um, was impressed by a small, a project, a bridge of flowers in Shelburne Falls in, I think, Western Massachusetts. It's a countryside, a pretty countryside and an old bridge, uh, which was used uh, as a train, uh, I think, uh, train line. And after uh, it was turned into a small botanical garden, there are trees, uh, small shrubs, and uh, uh, small trees, small shrubs, and various flowers uh, are planted all along bridge. As far as I remember, the project was implemented some 75 years ago, and it is supported by the community, still supported by volunteers, and I really loved it. I enjoyed my visit to that site. Also, I... Um, visited Boston Science Museum and yeah that amazing a uh, place for children for adults for everyone uh, you know to learn uh, it it really uh, gives a picture on what the basics of science of what the science is based on what which principles and really no words, so many impressions. Uh, I visited New York. I spent one day in New York and I saw it in black and white at the beginning because of weather. And um, then uh, within a few hours, uh, the clouds and fog disappeared and you know, uh, sun rays filled all the streets, parks, uh, squares in Manhattan. 
and um, majestic bridges, people, unique atmosphere. Uh, and uh, of course, I run to Central Park to Strawberry Fields and the place of attraction for every Beatles fan. I'm one of them <laughs> and so many impressions. I like it. You know what I felt from the first day in the United States? I felt uh, like home. It's very open, warm, and it welcomes you. Uh, and you just feel fine. That, that was my impression. And I hope, I very much hope I will get back because there's so much to see. Yeah. Well, isn't that wonderful uh, to have someone, um, you know, visit for the first time and, and you're so enthusiastic and you've painted such a picture uh, yeah. of things that, oh my goodness, yes, the United States has a lot, a lot, a lot a to lot. That's a Every huge country. When you're on this continent, you come and see Canada as well. Thank we have, you. <laughs> we Thank have a lot to... Uh, to view, you know, for the tourist and for, you know, lots of botany as well, different uh, types of botany. So what, what a marvelous uh, time you must have had. And yeah. through your eyes, we can feel it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. One of the things you said to me at the convention, Anna, that stuck with me, it stuck with me because it's something that my grandpa used to say also. You said, through travel, we reflect on our own culture and we get a chance to, to understand ourselves as well as the new culture. And what a beautiful attitude and outlook. And I'm so happy that you had a chance to come and visit. And I know there's a, there's a researcher in our department who got to go to Armenia and work with you so I am holding that out there for myself as a hope that I someday will get the chance to go to Armenia and study rhododendrons and, and get to see all these beautiful, amazing places that you have told us about. So that true yeah. nature of cultural exchange, you know, science, that's one of my favorite things about yeah. science is that we do, in a lot of ways... I don't know anybody else who knows somebody halfway across the world in a totally different country. It's it's a unique pleasure and I appreciate that it led me to meeting you. That is so awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, uh, Juliana. Uh, yes, I agree. Um, we are so similar. So, the scientific community, wherever I go, I feel like uh, when I communicate with scientists, I, it's uh, just essential. Uh, I, I uh, really need to travel to welcome guests, and I will be happy to welcome you, your colleagues, Christina, you, and uh, others in Armenia. And if there is any possibility for collaboration, I'm always uh, ready. So, welcome to Armenia if you have a chance. Well, you'll always be included in many of the uh, projects that we are involved in. Thank and, you. Um, it's just, Thank you. you know, I think that uh, communicating like this and sharing our communications is vital to the researcher, to the botanist, to the plant lover. Uh, yes, it's sure. how you get to, you know, to fulfill your 
Yes, sure. And I remember the big globe model of the globe in Boston Science Museum. And I was looking and thinking, in fact, um, uh, the globe, uh, the world is so small. At the same time, it's big, but it's also very small. Mm -hmm. And um, we have to stay together, keep together and care about our environment. Yeah. Uh, wherever we live, all uh, it's the one organism, it's one ecosystem. Yeah. The last thing we have to ask for you, what is next? What are you doing in the near future? What are you excited about? Um, yeah, uh, my small steps for the near future is uh, uh, I've heard on my last uh, trips to uh, the north of Armenia, to Dilijan National Park, I heard from my colleagues there that, that uh, there might be some uh, rhododendron communities found in the mountains. So I'm going to go check. This is one uh, small aim. And um, I'm planning to uh, continue uh, not only scientific explorations of rare and threatened plant species, but also I didn't mention, I do some practical work in the botanical garden in our institute. I raise these rare species from seeds. I work on propagation and management of living collections. And I like it very much when I, try to raise uh, some a very rare plant and I water it myself and I take care it's, and I work uh, in collaboration with some of my colleagues. Uh, so uh, I'm going to um, work on fundraising to continue uh, uh, my uh, studies on particular species, uh, habitat types, on plant reintroduction, and of course, uh, rhododendron studies in my hand. The plan is there, and I'm going just to put it on the paper <laughs> and to make uh, another plan for the near future. So, Anna, have you actually uh, tried propagating uh, rhododendron caucasicum or? Uh, we tried actually, but uh, climate in Yerevan is very dry. It wouldn't grow in Yerevan Botanical Garden. And we, unfortunately, we do not have a kind of glass house with climate control where we can manage. Uh, but actually, we, I think at this point, it doesn't need to be reproduced or so. Uh, it just needs to be left as it is and uh, without any damage to the populations because uh, we can't influence on climate change, but it, it, it feels, it still feels okay. And it's, uh, it's trying to adapt. At this point, we have to study it more to understand the plant and its behavior in this environment. And then we can, uh, when we have more information, scientific uh, justified information, we can see uh, how to manage this uh, species. Yeah. Conservation is a, it's a lifetime's worth of work and it, I, I think one thing that I often think about is we'll never be able to stop. 
it's not like we'll be like done conserve there's always going to be something where we have to i like what you said about getting that scientific data we need to understand it and then make a plan from that and i think there's always going to be work for conservationists and botanists mm -hmm. because that's that's going to be something that we always have to think about we're always going to have to make these you know it's easy to not see a plant i i i want to go back to that really beautiful story you told about the driver that you collaborated with i know a lot of people who don't see plants and i was one of them i i didn't see plants until i had a, an event as an adult that that showed me plants and so your your attitude about combining art and the ecotourism to me that's where it's at that's how we're going to make a difference in conservation because it does take all of us it does take the people who live with the plants the people who use the plants the tourists it takes it will take a global effort to make this change so i'm really i'm super excited to hear about your work and i'm super excited about how you're going about it it's just thrilling to me so congratulations yes thank you so much juliana thank you we have I a just, lot to learn from all your experiences that's for sure oh thank you the same is for me i just wanted to add uh about the concept of conservation as i understand it it's not always about doing something with the plants it's very often about leaving them alone. Do not damage. Uh, sometimes there is misunderstanding that we have to do something to plant and to do, to put fences. No, sometimes they need just to leave them alone there where they want to be. And we should be grateful that we have um, this beauty around that we can are able to go enjoy because our profession i'm sure we all enjoy working it's what we like and um i agree with your opinion and i really share um this gratitude i'm also grateful to you uh juliana uh, to you christina um uh, it was a pleasure to meet you uh, in Vancouver and, and to work with you, uh, Juliana, during the implementation of the project. And I very much hope um, our co collaboration will continue and uh, we will uh, contribute uh, into conservation of this beautiful uh, genus. Uh, I learned so much and I learned in on the convention that rhododendron caucasicum is often used as a rootstock. Uh, I never knew that before. Oh, <laughs> wow. Now, that's really yeah. interesting. It, it develops a strong and deep roots, as uh, some of the colleagues yeah. told me. Yeah. Well, and that's unique in rhododendron. They're, they're, they're known for their poor root system development. Yeah. So. <laughs> Wow. yeah that's very cool oh now i have more thoughts um <laughs> we'll have another interview yeah i think we're gonna have to i think we're gonna have to wrap it up we 
appreciate you taking your time, Anna, to talk to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I know everyone is going to be really fascinated to hear what is a, a lot of deep work that you've been doing, and you're really contributing to rhododendron, and I, I appreciate you. So thanks for, thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you so much, Juliana. Thank you, Christina. It was a pleasure to speak with you and to share with the audience. Uh, All the best for the, your future. Thank you for you too. Thank you. Thank you. Curious to learn more about the topics discussed in this episode? Visit our website at www.rhododendron.org. Here you'll find tons of rhododendron resources, including tutorials, blogs, events, databases, and more. Click on the podcast link on the homepage to find more episodes, suggest a topic for a future episode, and get in-depth information about the people, places, and plants featured here. Until next time, keep carrying that torch for rhododendron, and don't forget to talk endlessly about this podcast to all your friends and family.